Good morning, Mountain Park. Glad you're here. Welcome to all of you who are not runners. Yeah, okay. Uh, I woke up. Uh, okay, anyway, glad you're here. We are in a series called uh, The Whole Shebang, and this series, we're looking at the entire 2010, we are looking at God's grand story. And uh, shebang means the entirety of something, it also means a party, and that's what our plan is with this. If you are brand new to this, we have a binder that is for you. We're running a little short on them. Uh, we've ordered some more. They'll be here in the next couple of weeks, so uh, if you uh, get a chance to grab one, great. We invite you to bring your binders, bring your Bibles uh, each week, because we're going to... Uh, uh, look at God's story together here, and each week we'll have a, p- a page that you'll be able to insert into your binder. We have, uh, we're now in week three of this little journey, and so far we've kind of set the stage by introducing the three main characters of the whole shebang. The three main characters are God, uh, start off with God and us. Those are, the, those are the two first main characters. God is the creator, the one who designed everything, took six, six days to design this beautiful world that we live in then took a rest day. That loving creator God is desiring a relationship with us, the second character in the story. He's desiring to have a restored relationship with us, his beloved. And then there's this third character, the enemy, if you will. In Job, he's referred to as the Satan, the accuser. In uh, Genesis, as we looked at last week, he showed up as the serpent, and his job is to get in the way of this restored relationship. Three characters, Two, want to, uh, that God want to have a restored relationship, and then the third that wants to get in the way of that. And uh, this, this, uh, this uh, whole plan, the whole idea with the whole shebang is that our stories are connected. That all of history is connected under one grand story. That every Bible story you are familiar with, or maybe, maybe only partially familiar with, they are connected in some way. Everything is part of the whole shebang. Even the earthquakes in Haiti this week, the tragedy that that has happened there is part of the whole shebang. It's part of the grand story. Now, God doesn't make these things happen. We are not lab rats. But God, from His perspective, He cares so passionately for the poor and the broken in Haiti. He cares so much for as much for them as He does for you and your story. We are all part of one grand whole shebang story. Now, just as a side note, for those of you who are moved in, in your prayer and in your thinking to want to do something about what happened in Haiti, uh, we are not particularly doing uh, something specifically as a church. We're just going to let individuals do what you choose to do. And if there is an organization that you choose to support financially, go for it, absolutely. If you would like to contribute in some way financially and you're not sure how to do that, uh, we will. Uh, you can go through uh, your church, and we will make sure that it gets to a reputable uh, place uh, with regard to that. Uh, Mountain Park is part of an, of an organization of churches called the Church of God. Church of God has over 200 churches in Haiti. So there are pastors and people and ministries in there that we are connected with. So if you'd like, just uh, make a designation, Haiti, on, your, uh, on a check, and we'll make sure that we help you out with that. With that in mind, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we want to take a moment this morning and remember um, your children in Haiti. God, this is, they are part of your story. You love them and know them as much as you love and know us. God, we pray for their um, uh, brokenness, for the incredible poverty 
that has been going on in there. God, would you use this for your glory, God? May, may, uh, may people who are experiencing what's happening in Haiti, may they be brought to a better place because of what you are doing through the people who care about what's going on in, in Haiti. Father, we pray protection with the millions of dollars that's being poured into this poor country. God, we pray for protection of anything uh, um, uh, nasty or illegal, inappropriate. God, there are individuals and families and organizations and, and governments that are pouring money into this. God, would you protect that process for your glory? And here this morning, God, as we enter into another part of the whole shebang of your grand story, God, we invite you to come and reveal who you are. Would you come and be with us? this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are finishing off the book of Genesis as we cruise through the whole shebang. And the question that is being surfaced as part of our journey here today, it's the title of our uh, conversation this morning, who are the Jews? Who are the Jews? How do they fit into this picture? And the quick answer to that is they are the people the nation that God created through whom He chose to be a blessing, through whom He chose to have a reconciled relationship with humanity. This is the nation that God launched to say, these are the people that I want to have a restored relationship with. This is what we see in the Old Testament. Uh, Join with me in Genesis chapter 17, if you will. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Here in chapter 17, uh, God is confirming a covenant that he set up earlier on in Genesis chapter 12. That's where he set up the covenant with Abraham. Now, Abraham is referred to as the father of the Jewish nation. We, you, some of you may have sung the song, Father Abraham. And man, he's, okay, we sing Father Abraham because he's the one through whom God said, I'm going to start a nation. You all want to move your right hand in and out, don't you? You're, okay, well, this is, the, this, is the, this is the man that God said, I want to start with this guy. And, and he, in chapter 12, he launched a covenant with Abraham. Abraham. And here in chapter 17, he is confirming that covenant. Continuing on, Abram fell face downward and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The covenant that God is launching through Abraham is he is saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be with you. We will be together. Characters one and two in in the whole shebang story, God is saying, we are going to have a restored, reconciled relationship forever. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. Jump to verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. 
Now, Abraham was known for his faith. He was a faithful follower of his God. So very likely in this moment, he would have said, whatever you say, God, whatever you say. By the way, what's circumcision? There would have been no evidence that he would have known what this was. There's no evidence that this was happening prior to this. And so then God would have explained to him, and he very likely would have said, you want me to do what? He's 99 years old here in this moment. He very, very possibly would have said, God, you gave Noah a rainbow. This is not fair. This is, there's not. God makes a covenant with Abraham, and it launches this relationship with his people, with the Jewish nation. And a covenant is a big deal. It is a huge deal, and, and covenants are, they show up in ancient cultures in, in so many different ways, and they always involve blood. Now, in our sterile modern culture, that's a little, in our, in our culture where, oh, I fainted at the sight of blood, that's a little bit odd. It's perhaps a little bit gross for us to think through this, but they didn't have pin numbers and signatures and documents that would become legal with those kinds of exchanges. It had to involve blood. The significant arrangements, uh, uh, commitments, oaths, promises, they had to involve blood. The signing with blood, the mixing of blood, the shedding of blood. And the significance of the blood was that for those who entered in on this covenant, on this arrangement, whatever it was, that they would say, this is the consequence toward either of us who break this covenant. The consequence would involve blood. It had to involve the shedding of blood. Now jump hundreds of years towards the story of Christ and the blood that He shed on the cross. And for those of you who saw Passion of the Christ and, and, re, and maybe this was your first reaction, it certainly was the reaction of many around the world, why so much blood? It seems gruesome, barbaric. Mel Gibson, why do you have to bring so much blood into it? Because that's what happened. That's what he, he wanted to tell the story to say, this is how gruesome it really was. Blood had to be shed. See, there is a covenant. And Scripture talks about, that actually there's a phrase connected to the concept of covenant that, a, that one would cut a covenant with someone else. And that cutting is that blood is shed. Now this covenant is broken. This covenant between character one and character two in our story is broken because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, because of our sin, because of our imperfection. This covenant is not broken by God. It is broken by His people. And, and therefore, the consequence of that is that blood must be shed. There is, no, there is not possible for the second character in the story to do anything, to shed anything that will reconcile this relationship. And so that's why God steps in and says, I will send Jesus to be the one to shed the blood, to, to respond to the brokenness so that there can be restored relationship between character number one and character number two. Who are the Jews? The Jews are the people, starting off with a, with a man named Abraham, moving to a family, moving to a nation, a Jewish nation, through whom God said, I will set up 
a blood covenant with you to have a restored relationship. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I will be with you. I promise. I give an oath. I will be with you. Now, this covenant, this promise to be with them flows through the story in Genesis. Can anyone remember who Abraham's and Abraham and Sarah had one son? Anyone remember what his name was? Isaac. <laughs> uh, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And so they were 99 years old when they gave birth to a son. And so, <laughs> you've got to be kidding. Uh, Isaac literally means laughter. And so Abraham gave birth to a boy named Isaac. And then the blessing, the covenant was passed from Abraham to Isaac. Turn with me, if you will, to chapter 26. It's still in Genesis. This morning we are going to stay in Genesis and then jump a little bit into Matthew, just kind of foreshadowing. All the scriptures that we're looking at are listed in the page you were given. You can look them up at another time. We're going to walk them through through together here. Genesis chapter 26, verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. This covenant, it will be passed on to you. And Isaac, I will be with you. He says, I will uphold my end of the covenant. I will be with you. Then Isaac gives birth to twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And they fought like brothers. Twin boys. Uh, Esau was actually the firstborn. He was the one who was to inherit this blessing. It was supposed to be passed. It was, it was initially planned to be passed through Esau. Jacob was the go-getter. He was the fiery one who fought for this blessing, and he won it. He got it. And the blessing went through Jacob. There's a story in chapter 28 that we're going to take a look at. We're just going to look at a few verses in there. It is the story of Jacob having a dream where he sees a stairway to heaven. That's where, they, that's where the song comes in. That's where the song comes in. Boo da doo da. This is a song that every new guitar player learns. And this is where it comes from. Uh, Genesis chapter 28. It's also where we get the phrase Jacob's ladder, which is from this dream that Jacob has. He sees God on high looking over all his creation. And then I want to read chapter 28, verse 13. There above it, in other words, above the the stairway, above the ladder, stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God says, I will uphold my covenant, my promise, my oath with you. I want a restored relationship with you, with my people, and I will do it through this nation that I will start called the Jewish nation. He says, I will be with you. Now, here's a question that um, I heard Andy Stanley ask as he was looking at this section here, and I just think it's a great question. What would someone in your shoes do 
differently if he knew God was with him? What would someone in your shoes do differently if she knew, knew that God was with her? The story in Genesis flows into the next generation. It goes Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. The, 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 nation of Israel, of, of, of the Jewish nation spreads out. It broads out a little bit. Instead of being one person, now it goes to 12 sons. All 12 sons and those 12 become the 12 tribes of Israel. The youngest of those 12 is a boy named Joseph. And Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. And this is where we get the, 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 the Jacob, Jacob's favoritism towards his son. He gives him the Technicolor dream coat. That's where, we, that's where we get that. Now, it wasn't technical, and it wasn't even colorful. There's no evidence that it had multicolors, but it was a special coat. That It was a cloak that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. But things didn't go that well for Joseph. This is a great story. Things did not go well for him. He was um, envied intensely by his older brothers. They, at one point, were all gathered around. They saw Joseph coming from a distance, and they said, Hey, let's kill him. Yeah, a little bit of groupthink there. And yeah, and then Reuben is the nice one. He says, No, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a cistern. Let's throw him in a hole in the ground. And we'll just kind of keep him there. And so they did. And he's like, boys, guys, help me out, help me out. And, and while he's in there and they're eating lunch and they're thinking about what they're going to do next, some uh, passers-by come and they think, I got a great idea. Let's sell him. Instead of killing him and getting nothing for it, let's sell him. We lose our little brother and we get a little bit of money for it. Yay, high five and high five and high five. Things don't go well. I mean, I'm the youngest brother in my family. I have two older brothers. I'm glad they didn't read the Bible because they would have dug this idea. They would have been all over this one here. Things do not go well for Joseph. Now, turn with me to chapter 39. The first verse of chapter 39 in Genesis. Now, Joseph, again, who was the youngest brother, had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now, wait a second. The Lord was with Joseph? That doesn't make any sense. If God is with somebody then good things happen, right? I mean, well, God must be with me today. If God is with someone, then good things happen. Then that person is happy, is successful, is joyful, is, is achieving things in this difficult world. That's, that's not the story of someone who gets ripped away from his dad who loves him dearly and sold as a slave. This doesn't make any sense. God was with him. And then something happens to Joseph that, that I, I can so relate to. I've been plagued with this my whole life. Jump to the uh, second half of verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. I read those words and I say, yes, Lord, speak. Speak. 
Okay. Uh, and after a while, verse 7, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Now, Joseph was doing well in Potiphar's house. He was doing well. He was, um, he was developing and, 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 and he was growing in trust in this home. And then Potiphar's wife takes notice of him and, and lures him, wanting, wanting him to come into bed with her. Joseph is a man of character, and he says no, and he refuses this. She doesn't like this at all. And what she ends up doing is, is taking his, uh, his coat off. He has, a, he has an issue with coats, I think. She ended up taking his cloak, and when he left, uh, she got really upset and, sh- and started screaming, saying, this man, this Hebrew that you brought in here, he's taking advantage of me, and, and here I have evidence that he came to do something against me. Jump to verse 19. Here, still in chapter 39. When his master, Potiphar, heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in finding favor with any prison warden. I mean, do you understand what must be going on in order to find favor with a prison warden? It says that God was with him. It doesn't make sense. Joseph is getting a bad deal here. Pardon my French. I won't even say it. I'll just get emails. So he's, he's getting a bad deal here. He's really getting a bad deal. And and here he is, he made the right decision. He refused the invitation from Potiphar's wife. He didn't even get the enjoyment of entering into the sin. He did the right thing, and here he is in prison. And it says, God was with him. It's pretty hard to remain faithful to a God who says he's with you if there's no evidence that he's with you. It's hard. This is what brings us to places in our lives where we, where we say, why do I pray? Why do, why do I keep on praying? My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. The cancer is still there. The pain is still there. Why do I remain faithful? Why do I make sacrifices in order to make the right decisions? How can I remain faithful to a God who says He's with me when there's no evidence that He is with me? And this is when we need to be so careful to distinguish between our circumstances and God's promises. Because we look at our circumstances, high, low, whatever, and we say this is an indicator of God's faithfulness, of God's presence, as opposed to looking at His promises. I I'm with you. Now things, things still for Joseph, they don't go smoothly. He is in prison, and there are two other men in the prison with him. There's a cupbearer of Pharaoh, who's the most powerful person in the world, and a baker. Two other men, and they both have dreams. And Joseph is given 
the ability to interpret dreams. Given, because God is with him, God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. And the cupbearer, first of all, explains his dream to Joseph, and Joseph says, hey, it's great news. That dream means that in three days, you will be removed from this jail, and you will be restored to your position in Pharaoh's court. Great news. Now, the baker saw the great news that happened there and said, oh, great. Joseph, here's my dream. Let me share it with you. And he does share it with him. And this is Joseph's response, chapter 40, verse 18. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Or I could be wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just saying what, I, what I hear. Now, things happened exactly as Joseph interpreted. Exactly. The cupbearer was restored in three days, and Joseph said to that man, said, if this happens to you, would you remember me? Would you, remem- would you find favor with me? Would you please do that? Of course I will. And the cupbearer is freed, and he goes on to his life. And things, he is removed from prison. Things happen exactly for the baker as well. His head is removed from him. And things happen exactly, exactly that way. But the cupbearer completely forgets Joseph. He forgets about the one who interpreted the dream that helped them get out of that place. And Joseph remains there for two more years. And God was with Joseph. It doesn't make sense. This would be the time where Joseph might naturally say, God, why don't you go be with somebody else? I don't really want you to be with me. Why don't you go be with my brothers? I got some ideas on how you can be with them. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a difficult thing. Now, after two years, he's in prison for a crime he did not commit. He's like the 18. He, he was in prison for two years. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Uh, And finally, things start to turn around for him because Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, has a dream that no one can interpret. And his cupbearer overhears this dream, and a light bulb goes on. Two years later, bing, there's a guy I was in prison with named Joseph. He can interpret dreams. And Joseph is called by Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream finally. And here's Pharaoh's response to this. In chapter 41, verse 39, verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Here, Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the world. Pharaoh was, was the, the leader of, of the Egyptians. I mean, he was the most powerful person in the world. Joseph was his right-hand man. Here's what's incredible about the story of Joseph. The, the extremes that he went through. He was, he was in a cistern. He was in prison. And he was also the second most powerful person in the world. And whatever, wherever he was on this spectrum, he lived life as if God was with him. 
He walked with integrity. He walked with courage and strength. The story, you've got to read it if you don't know it. The story of Joseph and his role in Pharaoh's court is that he had the opportunity to stick it to his brothers, to have no repercussions, to have full revenge on his brothers. And he doesn't do it. He shows them compassion and love and mercy. At both extremes, he lives as if God is with him. What's great about the extremes is that it allows for no one, no one to read the story and say, yeah, well, that's Joseph. He can do that. But he doesn't understand how difficult my life is. Well, have you been in prison for a crime you didn't commit? Or it also doesn't allow anyone to say, yeah, that's Joseph. Maybe he can make courageous, wise, God-honoring decisions, but he doesn't understand the pressures I feel in my company. He doesn't understand the, the pressures I have to deal with in terms of the staff I interact with and all that I'm responsible for. Are you the second most powerful person in the world? Joseph lived life as if God was with him at extremes that none of us in this room can touch. The important part about embracing the faithfulness and, the, and the, the love of God is to not rest it on our circumstances. Good, bad, happy, depressed, winning, losing. But to base it on His promises. And His promise, His covenant, is that He will be our God. He will be with us. This is so essential in understanding the whole shebang. And understanding God's desire for a restored relationship with us. That God is with us regardless of our circumstances. He wanted to make this so clear at the very, so early on he set up a covenant in Genesis chapter 12. I will be your God. And then he made this so clear through the Jewish nation. And then it pours into the New Testament story. And here's where I want to jump to the book of Matthew. Matthew, in his first chapter, he describes the birth of Jesus. And what happens with the person of Jesus is that God expands his covenant from the Jewish nation to all people in the world. In the first chapter... Matthew describes the birth of Jesus, then in, in verse 22, he says, All this took place, all this birth of Jesus took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Let's say it together. It, it means God with us. He will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God is with us. The first covenant in the Old Testament is that God says through a person, then through a family, then through a nation, I will be with you. You will be my people. And the, the second covenant, the new covenant, the, the, the second testament is that God says, I will have a restored relationship with all people through the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture talks about the fact that, that 
those of us, I, I am not of Jewish descent. Those of us who are not Jewish or Gentiles is what, is what the Bible talks about it, that we are grafted onto the, tr- the roots, the tree of the Jewish nation. So who are the Jews? Spiritually, all who choose to be grafted onto the family of God tree. I'm spiritually Jewish now through the person of Jesus Christ who said there, there is no Jew or Gentile, that we get grafted onto this tree. Matthew finishes his book, chapter 28. He finishes his book with a, with a section that is referred to as the Great Commission. The last words of Jesus in Matthew's story is he, he sends the people out halfway through verse, tw- verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. For the entire whole shebang, men and women, I will be with you. I'll be with you. So let me ask the question again. What would a person in your shoes do if he knew that God was with him? If she knew that God was with her? What would a person with your circumstances, your family, your kids, your struggles, your insecurities, your job, your debt, what would someone in your situation do if that person knew that God was with them, how would that have an effect on your fears, on your future, on your plans, on your hopes, on your self-esteem, on your, your, your decisions, your morality, your mornings? How would that have an effect on your daily life if you knew, knew, based on the promises of God, that He was with you regardless of the circumstances. See, if you're here today and you're searching and and you're entering into this whole shebang uh, deal and and you've been invited by somebody and saying, I'm exploring this whole God thing and who Christ is. If you're searching, God is pursuing you. Even if you're not searching, God's still pursuing you. But I I don't think there's evidence in Scripture that God is with you yet but if you have said yes to him if you have said i believe jesus is the one who restores my relationship with god i believe jesus is the son of god i don't understand that fully but i say yes to you god then the promise is that god is with you god is with you and some of us need to act like it. Let's pray. God, you are so patient with us. Thank you for your promise, God, that you are with us in good days and bad days. Father, I pray that in this moment, in this in the power of this story, God, that you would penetrate through our circumstances, 
to remind us that you are with us, God. God, many of us in this room are experiencing earthquakes in our own lives, that our lives have been shattered by circumstances around us. Maybe things that are completely out of our control, things that are not our fault. And in, and in those earthquakes, we say, where's God? Where are you, God? May we embrace today, God, the promise that you are with us. You always have been. You always will be. When we say we want to have a restored relationship with you. So God, out of that place of being with us, would you give us the courage and the strength to act like it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord.